0: This episode of Knife Talk is sponsored by TorMec. For your chance to win a T4 sharpening system, visit knifetalk.net to enter the draw. The winner will be chosen on our 10th show, and will receive a TorMec T4 and a set of jigs to make your knives razor sharp. Welcome to Knife Talk. Today I'll be speaking with Mike from Ekim Knives. Now some of you may have seen that I asked on the, the Chop Knives Instagram account, who would you guys like to hear me speak to? And I think it was Jeremy from Simple Little Life that recommended Mike. And I thought, of course, I love his knives, I love his YouTube account. So, so he's here. Mike's here. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me, Craig. Not a problem. It's really good to hear your voice. I, I hear it so often in, in your YouTube videos. It's good to be speaking to you. Likewise. And thank you very much. No worries. So I, I want to start the scene like I do at the beginning of every show. So, so whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Long Island, New York. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay. And what's the weather like there today?
2: Uh, hot and sunny. We're in the middle of summer over here, so it's uh, it gets a little stuffy in the shop. Yes. But it's not so bad. I'll take this over winter any day.
0: <laughs> and your shop, is that, is that at home or do you have a, a place that you go to each day?
2: Uh, It's in the backyard. Uh, I have a little apartment and it's actually in the backyard. It's a little shed, a little tool shed. That's uh, really all it is.
0: Oh, cool. So, so not far to travel to work? Nope. so knives what's the fascination
2: well i guess it all started when i was uh when i was a little kid i was in boy scouts and they would teach you how to use knives and a little bit of outdoor and some maybe some preparedness and survival um a moderate degree i would say uh but i began the fascination with knives there now i never really had anything before that but in order to participate, my parents had to go out and get me a knife. And I remember one of my first was a Swiss Army knife, a Victorinox, I believe. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, I didn't really use them in my day-to-day life, but the fascination never went away. And it would progress from uh, using them and whittling them, whittling with them at, around a campfire in the Boy Scouts to. All of a sudden, now I'm sneaking into the garage to use my father's bench grinder,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it just, uh, just really, just kept going from there.
0: And it's, it's such a weird thing, isn't it? That, you know, I speak to so many knife makers, and I always say to them, you know, what's the fascination with knives for you? And for most people, it starts from when they were really young, and it's just, I don't know. To me, a knife almost has a bit of a soul to it. You know, it, it has a bit of a character. Um, and you just, yeah, you can just fall in love with a specific knife as well, which is, which is such a weird thing.
2: Oh, absolutely. I remember, uh, using that bench grinder in particular. It wasn't just knives. It was anything with an edge, uh, shaping metal. I started out very early with that. And, uh, I remember taking apart an aerator rake. I had these little, uh, five pointed stars on it to, I guess you roll it over the lawn to aerate the lawn. And I took it apart, and I remember sharpening those little stars on the bench grinder, and I would throw them into pieces of wood and the trees and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> so well, I, I've been following along your your YouTube channel, and you've documented your transition from from having a regular job to becoming a a knife maker. Um, is that a process that's finished now? Are you full time?
2: Uh, not not just yet. Actually, you caught me in a a transitional phase where I drive a truck. I've been driving a truck for 15 years. Yes, yeah, and it's uh it's long hours, so 60, 70 hour weeks. Uh, so I don't have a lot of time to work in the shop, but when I do, that's what you guys see on the YouTube channel. So I share everything I do after that 12 to 14 hour day. I come home, I go in the shop for a few hours, and make whatever I can in that time. Now, when I say trans- uh, transitional phase, I am actually right before you called. I was putting together the swing set for my son, who's going to be born in about four days.
0: Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Life will Thank never you. be the same again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, of course, with, uh, with something like that happening, big things need to change. Now, Long Island's very expensive where I live. Yeah. So daycare, we don't have anybody to watch the kid. And daycare is extremely expensive, more so than I make at the truck driving job.
0: Hmm.
2: So my choice soon became... Well, I can get a overnight job and say goodbye to knives, knife making altogether. But I've been working on this and building this for three years, so I couldn't say goodbye to that yet. There's so much potential and there's so much out there that if I go for it, if I dive in headfirst, that I can make this work.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I decided instead of running away from it, I'm going to quit my job in October.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: And I'm going to dive in headfirst.
0: That's great. That's great. And you—this is something you've obviously thought about a lot as well. You're not doing this on on a whim. It's something that you know you, you've obviously spoken with your family about, and it's—it's it's amazing. You're following your dreams. That's great.
2: You know what? It's—I spoke with my wife a lot about this, and uh, since we've gotten uh, pregnant, it's—it's it's been the forefront of the discussion almost every day. To the point that it's ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> but it's these are our options they're very limited and i can't just let an opportunity slip away
0: yes yeah yeah and as i say you've also been putting the hours in as well you know to learn your craft and and, and you've built up an audience yeah you know you're good to go you're good to go
2: it's the production that gets you so and it's i think a, a big thing and if, for guys that are looking to go full-time and something i struggled with is you have to not only go all in I dive in headfirst. Uh, for example, I just bought a, a Tormach CNC. Uh, now, mind you, we live in a small, tiny little apartment. I just had my one year anniversary a few days ago. And I basically spent the down, pay- down payment of a house on a machine to make this work.
0: <laughs> so a very understanding wife. Is, oh, I was about uh, to is... <laughs> say exactly that. Very, very understanding.
2: Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 she's been uh, critical into,
0: in making this happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. You've got, you've got support. That's great. That's great. So let's talk about your heroes. Who, whose work have you been admiring?
2: Oh, there's been quite a few. I mean, you spend five minutes on Instagram. and you're, you're, <laughs> It's when you think you've reached that next level, when you think your stuff is really that good, go on Instagram for a few minutes and you'll see you'll be humbled immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah. The talent, uh, the talent out there is just incredible, isn't it?
2: absolutely and and it's not just in the quality of one single knife for me it's i had to learn the hard way about business uh, because I, I was never raised in a in a business mindset it was always go out get a good job be mediocre your whole life and and take it from there there was no hey take a risk and go start a business hmm. right so the guys that not only make excellent products the the handmaker that spends 150 hours on a single knife uh, but it's the guys that are product, uh, super productive and are making thousands of knives that are high quality but affordable.
0: Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. And really, uh, really kind of killing it on the business end of it.
0: Actually, let's, let's talk about business for a second because I, I think it's something a lot of people steer away from. And they prefer to talk about their process and so on. So, so how did you sell your first knife? How did that come about?
2: Uh, well, I spoke to a few people locally in my truck driving job. And one of my stops, I I went and I knew the guy for a few years, and he was an avid hunter. And at the time, I was too nervous, too scared. I didn't believe in what I had made. Uh, But I showed him a few pictures, and, hey, I I made this. And he he wanted to buy it. So naturally, I priced myself way under what it was worth. (laughs) Uh, But that was my first sale. And I think that broke the ice for me and helped me move on to the next sale and the next sale.
0: Yes. Yeah. So how do you price your work now? Is it, you know, do you have X amount of hours? Do you have a, do you have a formula for it?
2: I used to have a formula and uh, this is, I'm a firm believer in this. When you first start out, you want to make enough to keep going, right? Since you're building your name, Hmm. uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a massive following or you make something that outstanding that it stands on its own merit, then you can charge almost whatever you want. But when you don't, when you're trying to be discovered, uh, you want to just make and sell enough to keep going. And once your name gets there and your quality gets there, uh, then I think the price can go up. Now I, I'm notorious for pricing myself too low. Uh, my last sale, I had a lot of people yell at me <laughs> for pricing <laughs> too low. Uh, but I believe I'm paying my dues.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a something that you just mentioned actually getting a name out there so that brings me to the next question really which is who buys your work is is it other knife makers for their collection Is it maybe fans of your youtube channel you know i mean me personally i make chef knives so i want i want chefs to like my work um you know more than maybe other knife makers um yeah so who's who's your customer
2: my customer base is a little bit of everybody I get the majority of my sales off of uh, Instagram and YouTube. I do have a few knife makers that they start out, they realize how difficult it really is and say, you know what, rather than spending thousands of dollars in tools, I'm just going to go back to collecting and I'll pick up one of yours. Hmm. But there's a, there's a, there's a purpose behind uh, the YouTube channel and helping out other makers. Uh, kind of my end goal. I want to try and look 10 years down the road. So, my ultimate goal is to become a production facility. Uh, to me, it's no use of going for the three, four, five thousand dollar custom and selling it to an elite few. Mm. I want to create a brand and a production facility. Think of a Spyderco or Microtech, or Zero Tolerance, or one of those guys. Yeah. To build like a culture and supply knives to as many people as possible, while still maintaining reasonable quality.
0: Yes, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean that's very difficult to do, you know, on your own. And that's a question that I've asked many times on the show actually. How do you scale up a business which relies so heavily on handcrafting? But I mean, you've taken those steps. You bought your Tomek, you you're on your way, you know? Uh,
2: absolutely. And the reason why I cater to other makers is because when that day comes where I need uh, whether it be employees or collaboration project projects. If I taught you how to make knives through my YouTube channel uh, years ago and now you're a big name maker, when I reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to do a collaboration project? The likelihood of you saying yes is is far greater.
0: Yes, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so so do you do you pay to advertise at all or is it all just sort of organic via Instagram, YouTube and so on? I
2: don't pay at all, uh, just just organic, and my following is still what I would consider a pretty small. Uh, and of course, when you first start out, you, you get almost zero views, zero likes, uh, just like everybody else. But um, the one thing I think I, a quality of mine is that I don't give up, I don't stop. I, I could go for three years on YouTube and get zero views, but I'll still make the YouTube videos.
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think that's important in knife making, especially when you're first starting out, is to not get discouraged and just keep pounding away at it and move forward every day an inch at a time.
0: Yeah. So do you think as well as obviously sharing what, what, what you're doing, do you think you're actually learning by, by, by sharing too? Do you think by actually going through a YouTube video that you know, you're having to break things down and it'll help you in the long run too?
2: Absolutely. There's, there's times where I've been humbled on camera. Uh, because I thought that the way I was doing it was the correct way, and it wasn't. And then I'll go through the comments, and because I try to give as much, uh, most of these guys try to give back. So they'll say, "Hey, uh, maybe you shouldn't heat treat it that way, or you might warp it, or maybe you should drill it this way so you don't cut your hand off."
0: Yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, so you got to. You look through the comments, and a lot of people will call them trolls, but they're really just looking out for you. So, I mean, of course, there are some goals.
0: <laughs> I was about to say, well, well some of them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so let's let's leave sort of business aside a second. Let's talk about your process. So do you work with batches or do you work on a single piece from start to end? What's your normal workflow there?
2: Well, uh, lately it's been batch work. Uh, I will do piece by piece. But again, the, uh, the end goal is a production facility. So I need to kind of get that batch work. If I can get that framework early and then scale it from there, uh, that would help me hit, pursue that goal.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so, but right now, uh, for example, I have uh, eight knives on the table, uh, all the same model, and I'll do eight uh, bearing holes. I'll do uh, eight backspacers, and that'll be my day is go out in the shop and drill 300 holes Yeah, or, or something similar to that.
0: So you'll make your setup, and it, uh, yeah, you can, just, you can just churn through for the rest of the day then. Yes. Okay. And is everything in house? Do you do the heat treat? Do you do the finishing? Do you do the handle work? Do you do, do, you do your lock yourself? Uh,
2: the only thing I sub out is heat treat. I do have a small heat treat oven, uh, but when I'm doing batch work, it's I don't have the space really to uh, to put an even heat kiln or something like that in there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or for the folders, I just started using water jet uh, to help cut out, like especially the lock bar is a is a very fiddly piece to to cut and you waste a lot of time doing it so i subbed that out to waterjet
0: right okay cool and is it just yourself in the shop or do you have people working alongside you it's i'd imagine it's quite a small space it's just yourself yeah
2: yep just me and the the shop is 12 foot by 12 foot wow and, that, and that's the big shop
0: geez and you've got all the equipment there too crazy <laughs> yep so, so what's next? I mean, I think everybody has a, a dream shopping list, of, you know, of what equipment they'd they'd want. So, what do you have your eye on, and how do you think that's going to improve your work? Well,
2: um, right now, I I bought this CNC machine, and I don't know how to use it. Mm. It's funny when, when people come over, I I know how to jog it and move it around a little bit. <laughs> so it looks <laughs>
0: looks really cool.
2: <laughs> right, right, exactly. It hasn't made anything yet. Uh, so once I learned that, but I guess. Uh, to uh, say a, another piece of equipment that I don't have yet. I really like these, uh, these laser etchers.
0: Oh, uh, uh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's, uh, Cause I, I think you said this as well, but I hate, Etching my stencil, uh, etching my logo.
0: Yeah, like, I've I've done a couple today, and it's it's yeah, it's always you know gritting your teeth thinking this better work out because the last thing you want to do is finish finish another blade again, you know, before trying to re-etch and uh, yeah, and I, I don't etch, I mark simply because if you know if, if it fails, I can Scotch bright off and, and start again. Um, right, I, I do the same. Yeah, but yeah, a, a laser machine, I'd love. And also for just making sort of cool patterns on blades, too, not just for the maker's mark, you know?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if, uh, if you look at me, I'm not very artistic. Uh, so if you look at a lot of my knife designs, it's, it's, bare, it's pretty basic. Uh, I see a lot of these guys do uh, some crazy milling patterns or they'll even get a Dremel and hand carve some cool sculpture into the handle of a knife. And I don't have that kind of artistic ability. Yeah, uh, but I believe a CNC machine or the the laser can help me in that
0: regard. Yes, yeah. Well, if you do come across a laser that works with steel that's under sort of five thousand dollars, let me know because I've been I've been looking and they're just so expensive.
2: Oh, absolutely! It's the price of a luxury car to get a laser.
0: Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the sharing of your work, which you know, as you say, you're very open about it. It's on Instagram, it's on YouTube, and so on. Knowing that some great knife makers will be looking at that, does that ever worry you? Do you ever think, oh, man, I wish that was just a little bit better, or I, I wish I didn't show that particular piece?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, it's crossed my mind, but I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, because I've had people come and criticize me and tell me I'm doing it wrong, but at least I'm giving back. Hmm. Right? I want to give as much as possible and share what i learned to date. So... The caveat to every video I've ever done is this may or may not be the right way or the best way, but it's the way I figured it out and it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes across in your videos too. You know, you're not preaching it in any way, um, which I think, you know, I appreciate and I'm sure many others do.
2: I try to be because it, when I first started, uh, started out and learning from YouTube channel, uh, like Tim Troyer from Sugar Creek Forge. Hmm. Uh, and I think Aaron Goff was on it as well for the friction folder build along.
0: Hmm.
2: He was one of the teachers, Aaron, and so was Tim Troyer. And they showed you how to do it in a particular way. And some of the other YouTube channels would show you how to do it in a particular way, but I always had some more questions. And I felt that, well, they did 90% of the work on there, and I got to figure out this last 10%. So when I made my videos, I wanted to try and get that 100%. Every single little detail that's why I make such long videos, but every single little detail, I wanted to answer all the questions or as much as I could
0: hmm. and just thinking actually a little bit off topic now, but whilst we're talking about youtube is is that part of the end game as well, having sort of revenue stream from that um, with regards to you know affiliates and all that kind of stuff
2: uh with my YouTube channel, I'm still pretty small, so I don't really use it for uh revenue at all, I and mean, you you guys be I mean, I'll just tell you, it's probably hundred dollars every other month to right. do YouTube. Uh, that's, that's what YouTube pays me. So it, it's it's uh, marginal at best, but I do it primarily to give back. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's really the end goal with YouTube. I'd love to do it full time, but to be honest, I don't think I have the, the talent that some of these other big, like Walter Sorrels or simple little life, Jeremy, mm-hmm. uh, they have some, the, the video talent, the, the editing and everything that I'm sure I could get to that point, but I have so much on my plate that I
0: just uh, <laughs> kind of let it slide. And it's a lot of work. I I mean, wow. I mean, looking at, I've been following Alex Steele and he's recently moved to a, a new premises and he set up his shop basically like a, like a film studio, you know? Um. So his his primary motivation is to make videos, not necessarily to make product. He doesn't sell his products that he makes. He, it, what he sells are the videos so yeah the setup he's got is incredible and yeah it's 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 another level i think of, of learning how to do something
2: <laughs> absolutely actually uh i downloaded th- this podcast and started listening to it and uh, it turned me on to alex Steele. so i went and watched some of his videos and i can see exactly what you're talking about uh, with the, with the studio lighting and everything in there yeah. i would love to have that ability
0: yeah or half his energy that would that would suit me oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) right so so we've we've covered your youtube channel and instagram and so on but how do you relax away from the workshop i know you've been busy you know fitting working around making knives and so on what do you do to just stop all of that just to sort of get your head in a better place
2: well I used to do um, mountain biking and all that kind of stuff, but honestly, for the past couple of years, ever since I kind of took on uh, more of a business mindset of, I'm going to make this work mindset, I haven't really taken any breaks. I, I just, I go to work, like I said, about 70 hours a week. I come home and I make knives as much as possible. Luckily, my wife doesn't really ask for anything, but the the rare occasion where she does, I make sure I drop everything I'm doing, and I go and I
0: see her. Good man, good man. <laughs> so, so tell us about um, the sort of area that you live in. Is that is it easy to get your sort of consumables, your belts, your steels? Is 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 that all pretty much to hand?
2: I mean, the the nice thing about Long Island is you're ten minutes from anything, really. If you really search, I I could probably walk down the street and find liquid nitrogen if I had to. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the most part, just like uh, most guys, we we order it online. I know uh, overseas, you you guys have a real hard time, don't you?
0: Well, yes. So I I you know I've I've always been in the UK until very recently. Now I'm in France, and we are right sort of in the middle of France. If you put a pin in France in the middle, we're there. So you know our local shop is is ten miles away. So, so you know. To try and source a uh, an abrasive belt, for example, which would just be a whole day's work just trying to find one. So, yeah, it's it's all online um, and from the U.S., you know, there's there's oh, wow. not really much in Europe. So it's a lot of shipping charges. Um, but, yeah, I, I use Zach from Preferred Abrasives. He sort of sorts me out um, and we get good deals. But, yeah, it'd be lovely to have somewhere local where I could just go in, buy what I need, you know. But, um, hey, one of those things, one of those things.
2: I'm surprised nobody's uh, taken up that, uh, that market out there because there are a lot of makers on that side. Uh, UK, France, uh, it's, it's a culture that's gone back years, centuries even.
0: Yeah. I mean, here in France, just today, I was speaking to the local mayor, who's like the, oof, I suppose it's, it's, it's the old sheriff that you would have had in the US. Um, <laughs> they, they run the town, you know. Um, and he was telling me about a, a huge sort of fate, um, a big festival of knives um, which is the biggest in France, and that's like 10 miles from here just next month. And it's just like, wow. So, yeah, everybody takes their knives very, very seriously here. There's a big sort of chef training school as well, um, which is part of the reason why I'm here. Um, but, yeah, you'd have thought there'd be a, a supplier that would um, be able to sort of give, give the people what they need, man, you know?
2: <laughs> now, uh, let me ask you this. Is it, is it the same for machinery and, and, and tooling?
0: Um, in France, I don't know. I brought all of my machinery and two of my grinders and so on with me. Um, in the UK, it's not too bad. There's there's a couple of sort of um, big label shops up there where you, where you can buy grinders and and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, here in France, I'm still trying to find my feet a bit. Really, um, but yeah, I'm I'm sure there will be. I'm sure, there must be. Okay.
2: Yeah. The, the reason I ask is I have a lot of Australian knife makers reach out to me, and uh, they tell me how they get absolutely killed in terms of machinery and getting it over to uh, to that big old island over there
0: mm, yes yeah yeah i mean a classic example is is an oven so i'm using a, a gas forge at the moment um but i'd love something like an even heat or something you know but the the, the cost of shipping is actually more than the cost of the oven because it's weight it, you know it's it's fire bricks it's it's heavy oh, yeah. stuff so yeah so things like that are a real sort of pain but um yeah i'll get there I'll get there. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and this first one it is about kit actually in your workshop. So what's the one piece of kit that you just couldn't live without?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. I don't want to say the grinder because I know everybody's going to say the grinder, the two by 72. You know what? I, you know what I use the most? And probably Every knife maker out there is sandpaper. Hmm. You'd be amazed how far you can get with sandpaper. Okay. It sounds a, sounds a little ridiculous. I'm, if you want to pick a machine, aside from the two by seventy two, I would go with a surface grinder.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's been extremely helpful. I just converted it to belts, uh, which you could almost get a sellable finish straight off the machine. With which these, is
0: right. Okay. Nice. Nice.
2: Almost. It, it really takes a lot of the time out of the handwork. Uh, so that was actually why I built my shop is because I bought this thousand pound machine and had nowhere to put it.
0: <laughs> that, that actually really surprises me, saying sandpaper, because that's the one thing I'd happily throw out and never have to <laughs> see again. <But> <laughs> <laughs> so aside from some of the great makers you've already made, you've already mentioned, sorry, um, where do you find your inspiration apart from other people's work? Do you see it in in cloud formations, or do you you see it in you know in other tools? Where does
2: that come from? Apart from other makers, it's the people that do more with less. So, for example, I uh, happened to turn on a Casey Neistat video. I think it was yesterday, and he had a blind girl Hmm. on on his channel, and this blind girl who cannot set up the lighting and cannot set up the camera and make sure she's in focus or anything. has 100,000 subscribers on YouTube and makes it happen. And like, it's it's hard to make an excuse for yourself when you are fully able and you're just maybe just being lazy when there are people out there like that that are doing it.
0: Hmm. Jeez, yes, yeah. Thought-provoking stuff, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
0: Yeah. So So – if, if people want to know more about you, where can they find you online? So there's obviously your Instagram. So is that is that Ecum Knives? Yep. Um, yeah, in,
2: Instagram primarily. Um, the website, a lot of my knives don't really even get to the website. They sell right through Instagram. I've
0: just, uh, been, so, look, just been looking on your site, and you, you've literally got one knife for sale at the moment. Right. You, you've right. sold everything. So that, that's good news. That's good news.
2: Yeah, normally they don't even make it to the website. It <laughs> just goes right off of Instagram and of course youtube but i think the best way to get in contact with me is instagram
0: okay cool and and what is your plan then with with regards to sort of a range of knives will will they all be individuals or i know you talked about having batches will you sort of continue with that model for a long time or are you just looking to evolve as time goes on
2: the the knife world is is kind of funny in that way where you might make a model that's that's hot for the next Two or three years, hmm. uh, and all of a sudden it fades away. So it's you have to grow and change with the times. And if you make a classic like like Aaron Goff, he he makes that drop point mm-hmm. hunter the the resolute right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a timeless knife. It's it's not going to follow any trends or, or fads. Uh, but if you want to get uh, get your work out there and just make something that stands out, you almost have to ride these waves. So. My plan is to offer maybe three or four models every couple of years. And then when it starts to wind down to go back and maybe make three or four new ones. Mm-hmm.
0: Good plan. Good plan. Okay. Well, I think we've come to a sort of natural end. Um, so maybe it's a good time to, to say goodbye, but everybody knows where they can get you. They can get you at econknives.com, econknives on Instagram um and go and watch go and watch mike's videos they're great anybody listening that hasn't seen his youtube videos they really are great they're thought-provoking they're inspirational you learn a lot and he just makes some really cool stuff thank you very much